Really excited to be starting a new series this morning. Um, We've called it Scattering on Work, Vocation and Ministry. Um, But we'll start this morning with our Bible reading. So if you want to open up, if you'd like to follow along to Genesis 2, verses 1 through 22. I'll give you a moment or two to find that if you like. But it shouldn't take that long. It's right at the beginning of your Bibles. So Genesis 2, 1 to 22. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all the work of creation. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. The first branch, called the Pishon, flowed around the entire land of Fetvilla, where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone are also found there. The second branch, called the Gihon, flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, called the Tigris, flowed east of the land of Ashur. The fourth branch is called the Euphrates. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, but the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone, or make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. The Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. I've got my order slightly wrong today. Before the Bible read, I was meant to mention that we have kids and junior youth on today. So you just got an extra reading of the Bible, kids, which is so exciting. But feel free to come out and we'll be led by Caitlin and Kate are hosting kids and Jared and Nathan, I think, are on junior youth today. We wanted to make sure we had the voice, all the voices present for our happy birthday singing. But as I mentioned, we're beginning a new series today and it's a series that I'm really excited about. I know every time we intro a new series from the front, one of us will say that we're excited about it, but I can really say I'm super excited for this one. When we sat down in January this year and we planned out the year, this has been the one I've been waiting for because this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. And it's close to my heart because as a kid I grew up in the church and I heard about faith and I said the right things and I read my Bible and I did devotions and I went to kids' church and I did all of that. But I got to my teenage years and I was asking myself, why does any of this matter? What does it actually have to do? Is is church just a thing on my list? Do it once a week and I'm a good person? Or does this actually have anything to do with how I live my life? And a few people started speaking into my life. 
and pointing me to what they'd call marketplace theologians, people that talk about the importance of work, people that talk about the importance of vocation. And I came to this awareness that actually what God says has everything to do with my Monday to Saturday, has everything to do with how I live my life. God cares about the work I do. And I've become convinced that this topic, the topic of work, is central to the whole Christian thing. Because the truth is, we spend the majority of our time working. And I'll define what we mean by working in a little bit. But we spend our time working in homes, in employment, in our gardens, doing our shopping. And for most of us, I'd say nearly all of us, our work, our ministry, our vocation, it takes place out there. Thank goodness for that. Because wouldn't it be sad if the sum total of our Christian experience, of our Christian lives, took place in this building? We have a lot of Richmond vocab. We come circle back to certain words we use. And if you've been here more than a few weeks, you'll know that we use a few words repetitiously to try and tell you a bit of what our heart is as a community. And one of those words that we use is gathering. We describe this Sunday coming together as a gathering rather than a service because we believe it's what the church is doing. But one of the Richmond vocab words we perhaps don't use as much, but if you go to our website, it's really present, but is also implied by the word gathering, is what's partnered with it. A scattering. When we finish with our hour and a half or so here, we go back out into the world, the church scatters. And a few months ago, our pastoral team was praying. Um, And I think it was Elliot that might have brought this um, picture up. It might have been when the Van Gogh exhibit was coming. But he brought up this picture of Starry Night. And you can see it there. And he was explaining to us that one of the revelations Sarah had given him recently was that Van Gogh used yellow to describe spirituality or to demonstrate God's love and God's presence. And what's interesting in this picture is where God's love is. You can see it's in the windows of some houses. It's up in the sky. It's out in the hillside. It's out in nature. But there's one place that it's conspicuously absent. It's in that church right in the centre, that steeple rising high. There's no yellow. Perhaps there's no God's love, no God's presence there. And it's a sobering thought. It's a bit depressing the first time you look at that image. And maybe it's a reflection that we do need to sit with at times, that perhaps that's what outsiders see when they look at the church. But as a team, we sat and we prayed through, prayed over this image and prayed about what we could learn. And it's not a unique insight that we came up with, but we thought maybe this is a picture of hope. Because the church was never confined to a building. The church was a people. A people who, yes, might be in that building for an hour or two, but a people who then scatter into those homes, into those neighbourhoods, into the countryside. The church, we are called to spend most of our time in the world whether that's our homes, whether it's our neighbourhoods, whether it's the workplaces we're in, whether it's the marketplace. And so we've labelled this series Scattering, but with a subtitle of Work, Vocation and Ministry. And the reason we've done that is often work and vocation, or at least in my experience, have become completely separate from ministry. And I hope that if this series can do one thing, it's to flip that idea on its head, that we start to understand the work that we do, the vocations we've been called to, are our ministry, are the very thing that we've been called to. Because once again, if the sum total of our difference from our neighbour is that we come here, we sing some great songs, we hear a nice message, we have some great coffee, but then we go home and it aren't changed, then does the gospel matter at all? So as with any series, the first thing we need to do is the really boring part. We need to define what we mean. And this was helpful for me with work because I think we all mean different things when we say work. 
I know growing up, to me, work was career. I started to understand work is far more than that because we all work and we're all working regularly. And the definition I found really helpful is that work is energy expended purposely. It's the way we use our energy, the things we put our energy towards. And sometimes that's manual. It's the things we do with our hands, the things that produce sweat. Sometimes it's mental, the way we think through things, the way we problem solve. Sometimes it's remunerated. I get that word wrong all the time. But sometimes it's paid. Sometimes it isn't. But we read this morning Genesis 2. And I think one of the conclusions we can draw from this opening passage of the Bible is that humanity was created to work. Genesis 2 suggests that the garden needed a cultivator, someone to tend to the earth. Humanity needed to be in relationship and we were given to each other as helpers to assist one another. God placed them in a location, in the garden, and gave them a job. Tend and watch over the garden. Assist one another. In the earlier chapter, be fruitful and multiply. Name the animals. I think all of these things are work in its purest, simplest and best form. We also read those first few verses. I love that work's repeated in those verses where we learn that God, the one in whose image we've made, is a worker. How often do we actually think of God doing work? I often will say God's at work, but what I'm really meaning is that God clicked his fingers. He doesn't really expend energy. I know that perhaps he doesn't theologically, but here God is clear that he is at work. Work that he had rest from. He considers creation his work. And so if you'll allow me to do a bit of heavy theological lifting here, I want to make what I think is perhaps the most important part of this passage clear. And that is, this is in Genesis 2, and try and follow me, comes before Genesis 3. That's the heavy theological lifting there. But Genesis 3 is where the fall occurs. Genesis 3 is where the curse happens. And growing up, to me, the curse was that we suddenly had to work. That because we sinned, God gave us all these jobs that were annoying and hard. But that's clearly not what happens. Work is tainted at the fall, yes. It becomes toil. But it certainly wasn't invented at the fall. Because we were created to work. We were created to expend our energy. We were created to make good things, to tend to the garden. We were created to work in the very good creation, not just in the fallen creation. I'm convinced we we're always meant to work. Work is core to humanity. I think if we read the whole of the Bible well, we'll see that in the new creation as well, we will also be working. Yes, without the toil, but we'll still be working the ground. We'll still be using our gifts and passions. We'll still be expending energy. A quote that was really formative for me um, came from this essay, Why Work? Um, it was written by this lady, Dorothy Sayers, who's a theologian and writer in the mid-1900s. And she reflected a lot on work. And I'm going to read a whole paragraph, but it's the last few sentences that have really stuck with me. In nothing has the church so lost her hold on reality as in her failure to understand and respect the secular vocation. She's allowed work and religion to become separate departments and is astonished to find that, as a result, the secular work of the world is turned to purely selfish and destructive ends and that the greater part of the world's intelligent workers have become irreligious or at least uninterested in religion. But is it astonishing? How can anyone remain interested in a religion which seems to have no concern with nine-tenths of their life? 
The church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling them is this, that the very first demand that their religion makes upon them is that they should make good tables. I love this essay. I love that last line in particular. It's one that I come back to all the time. But she hits on this fundamental truth. Our work can't be separated from the gospel. Our work can't be separate from our faith. Our work can't be separate from God because our work in its various forms, in its the different ways we participate in, our work is ministry. There's this line I love that work that isn't sinful is sacred. Is that a reality? Is that something that we live? Because I grew up thinking my role at work was to try and find two minutes where I could talk about Jesus. And the rest was filler, where I might get a wage and I could give a bit of that wage to the church. But really it was about trying to talk. But isn't our ministry to metaphorically make good tables? To make good things, to work well. Do we think of that as ministry? Because I'm utterly convinced we have to. Because the tables we make say something about the king we serve. Serving customers says something about what we view of people and humanity. Creating systems says something about the kingdom and what creating order from disorder looks like. Raising kids says something about the generational nature of the kingdom and the values and beliefs that we hold near and dear. Gardening says something of what we believe about partnering with creation. Keeping our houses clean and tidy says something about hospitality and what we believe about people. We're constantly saying things, either really well or really poorly, about the kingdom, not in how we verbalise it, but in the work that we do. Because we are a people who are created to work, and not just in the sphere of our job, not just in our employment, but in all the spheres of influence and life that we have. Our work is ministry. Isn't it easy to think maybe of Keith's role as ministry, Melinda's role as ministry, but not of our own? This last year I've been spending a, week, uh, spending a day a week working for Richmond and four days as a physio. It's really easy for me to slip into language if I do one day of ministry and four days at my job. And if I use that language, it reflects a truth that's really dangerous. Because the truth is, one of the most important ministries I'm involved with is my physio practice. And not because we're expressly Christian or anything like that, but because I interact with the real world. I get to talk about the beauty of the human body, how it's meant to work together, how when things go wrong we can problem solve and use our minds. I get people telling me what their goals are and I get to try and create structures to get them back to their goals. And it's about their goals, not mine a lot of the time. I get to talk about the beauty of how everything interacts. And if I'm not viewing that as ministry, so much of my life is wasted. If I'm using that as filler and not actually worrying about how well I do that, but just looking for a chance to use the word Jesus or to tell someone that I go to church, then so much of what I'm actually doing is wasted. But I'm also doing ministry in my other spheres. In the last three months, I've learned how, I'm learning how to do ministry as a father learning what are the values and beliefs and practices that I want to instill in our family. Doing ministry as a husband, as a friend, as someone that comes along here on a Sunday. I do ministry when I go down the road and kick the footy with my mate, when I catch up with family. We're doing ministry all the time, but even perhaps in more mundane things. When I'm mowing my lawn, 
when I'm doing the dishes, when I'm choosing what I'm going to buy in a shop, when I'm making decisions that impact the way people work, that has worked myself, I have the opportunity to be doing ministry. I'm not going to lie, there's plenty of mundane elements to all these spheres. I don't skip around as a physio going ministry, ministry, ministry and thinking everything's amazing. There's a lot of boredom that comes with the paperwork. There's a lot of people that I would rather not work with at times. But if I'm not trying to return to the truth that there's an opportunity for ministry every time I expend my energy, then I'm missing out on probably the most important part of my life. One of the things I think churches do really well, one of the things I think we do really well, is when we commission missionaries. We had this series recently on Global Village and we have people from Cambodia, Tanzania, Southeast Asia come up and share where they're feeling God has called them. And I really love hearing those stories. But one of the things that I think we do really well is afterwards we'll nearly always stand around them and pray. We'll send them out. Because we recognise they're going to the mission field. We recognise they're about to engage in ministry. But I wonder if we get our theology of work right, the thing that we're going to be talking about for the next month or two, I wonder if we get that right. Will we start doing that also each time one of us gets a new job? Each time one of us moves to a new neighbourhood or has new neighbours move in? Every time one of us has a new child? Every time one of us has a new sphere of influence? Because that is the mission field as well. That is also a calling to ministry. Our spheres are our our mission field and our lives are our ministry. And you have to work out what the metaphor is for yourself because I don't know what your spheres are, but are you building good tables? As we said, there's a danger sounding grandiose this morning, trying to make things seem bigger than they are or more important than they are. But one term that I think that often happens with is this term vocation. In the next two weeks in this series, we're going to unpack what we mean by vocation. But in the Bible, when the Bible speaks of vocation, it's talking of a calling. That calling's never simply about a job or a career. I loved what Keith was saying this morning about Jesus called people. He called all of people. He didn't say, this is what I want you doing for certain hours during your day. It was about a reorientation of life. Our vocation, our calling is to a way of life, not to a job. And I think when we've made it about job, we've done something really dangerous. We've said there's one way you can do things, and if you miss out on that, you've missed God. When I was in year 12, I was trying to work out what I wanted to do with life. As you know, that craziness of 18, you're meant to know what you're going to do for the next 20 or 30 years. I had these options before me, and I thought there were a few, things, a few different paths I could go down. So I went to people to try and get advice. I'd go, I want to do Bible college, but I think that's for later. I could do physio because I like working with my hands. I like sport. That could work. But I also like journalism. I like storytelling. I like investigating things. Wouldn't that be fun? I could do teaching. Teaching really interests me because I like looking at what the next generation is going to do. And everyone I went to inevitably said some version of these lines that I'm sure you've heard before. Put it before God and he'll make his ways evident. Pray about it and he'll make it clear. All in God's timing. And what I interpreted by that was God was going to give me a light bulb moment at the last minute. And he didn't. But I did have one mentor I went to. And I was laying down all these options. I was talking through the pros and cons of each one. When I finally came up for breath of air and paused for a moment, he turned to me and said, Josh, I don't think God cares what you do. Which was possibly the singular least helpful piece of advice. 
But then he went, I think God's far more concerned with how you do it. Make sure you're spending some time praying about that. And that's something I've held on to really dearly. Because in the end, I chose to do physio because it ticked the most boxes of things that interested me. To be honest, I was planning on doing it for a few years and then moving on to something else. But I've realized God can use me there. But God also used me in my other spheres. So I live out my vocation in many places. I live out my vocation, yes, at my job. But I also live out my vocation at home. I live out my vocation in the garden. I live out my vocation out at the shops. I live out my vocation when I'm hanging out with mates. I live out my vocation here worshipping with you guys. In our world, we've separated our spheres of influence significantly. I don't know about you, but I commuted 20 minutes to get here this morning. And tomorrow, when I go to be a physio, I'll commute 15 minutes in the other direction. When I want to go to the shops or the marketplace or community centres, I'll drive five minutes. Then I'll come back home to sleep. And I think when we've separated these things, it's easy to apportion parts of our lives to them. Ministry is what happens when I come to this building. Vocations, what happens when I go to the physio. Community is what happens when I go to the marketplace or to a friend's house. But when I think of this topic and I try to think of people in the Bible that inspire me with how they think about work, I think about someone like Paul, who loved to boast about working with his hands, who loved to say they didn't rely on anyone else, but made tents. But one of the things he doesn't say in his letters, one of the things I've only learned from reading other books, because it was so obvious to everyone that was reading him at the time, was the manner in which that would have happened. Paul was staying in a house, and he would have been making tents in the lower level of that house. Not behind closed doors, but open to the marketplace. He would have been engaging with people. Likely he was debating philosophers as he was making tents. And then when he was done, he'd go upstairs to where they'd sleep, to where they'd have their meals. But upstairs was also where they'd have church that week, where they'd pray and sing and do all of those things. It's easy, I think, for Paul to see vocation as all-encompassing because there isn't that separation. There isn't that separation in his mind. And I don't think we're going to get back to that way of life. I'm not suggesting that we suddenly all run churches out of our own homes and try and work from home, even though that's somewhat happened in this pandemic. But I think we do need to get in our minds that we do ministry in all those spheres. We live out our vocation in all those spheres. We expend energy, we work in all those spheres. We too have a calling that's all-encompassing of who we are, that influences all those spheres of influence we have. I mentioned before, I spend four days a week as a physio. And part of what that is, is people will come in for 20 minutes, then they'll go out, and the next person will come in. There's a bit of a revolving door all day. And so I'll get to meet a few new faces every day. I've tried to work on what my opening question is, because I hate the question of what do you do. Um, and I haven't quite got a good first question. It started with what do you do? It's tell me about your, turned into tell me about yourself. Now I try and say, how do you spend your days? But inevitably, everyone answers the same way. They'll tell me their career. I stay at home with a few kids. I'm a business person. I'm retired. And occasionally, you'll get the person that's slightly more holistic. That might give you almost their Twitter bio. Father of two, lover of cooking, occasionally a business person. Like, there's a few of those. And they're great. But to be honest, it doesn't actually tell me their vocation. I don't learn a lot about them in, that open, in those opening seconds. 
But as I start to see them over a couple of weeks, I do start to get a small picture of their vocation by the stories that they tell, by the values that they hold, by the goals that they set. I think we learn vocation through the whole of one's life by seeing how people choose to expend their energy. I wonder if that's a challenge to us. Do people see the calling on our lives by how we choose to expend our energy? I've got a good mate who's a carpenter, and we often talk about that essay that I read out before. And I know he's a good carpenter. And that's not just because I've got him to do a few jobs around my house for free. I've never actually been to his job site and looked at his work. But I can tell you he's a good carpenter for one reason. Because he talks about it a lot. When I hang out with him, we're driving along, he'll point out the different pitch of a certain house. He'll talk about stud walls and how different gappings, and all things that I've never professed an interest in and aren't really asking follow-up questions to. <laughs> but he cares so much about how he builds houses that he taught it's part of his life, not just for the hours that he's at work, not just when he's doing a job for me, but all the time. It affects how he sees the world. But similarly, that's not just to do with his employment. They're expecting a kid at the moment, and he talks about you know, what it looks like to instill values into that child that'll come. He's big on hospitality. He designs houses to try and have dinner tables at the centre. And so I think we learn people's vocations through stories. We learn if we make good tables when we tell stories. And so my challenge to you throughout this series is to ask yourselves, what do the tables look like in your world? Dorothy Sayers has later on, she goes on this tangent where she goes, she's convinced that none of the tables that came out of the workshop in Nazareth would have had wonky legs. Because Jesus knew that his tables said something about the king, said something about God, said something about the kingdom. In your work, at home, in workplaces, in the marketplace, are you making good tables? As I said, stories are where we learn about vocation. Stories are where we learn how ministry happens in different spheres. So part of what I'm hoping we can do in this series is hear stories of people's vocation. Something you'll probably remember far more than anything I'll ever say, any reflections that we have. So I'm going to invite Mark you up to share with us. Um, I might need to grab the microphone that Keith had. One of the um, Mark's a part of our gospel group, so I get to hear his insights regularly. He's actually been a family friend of ours for quite a while, and um, I've loved hearing Mark's reflections over many years. Um, he's taught me a lot about the marketplace, but particularly on on the danger of separating these things and how they've looked integrated in his own life. So we've got a few questions that we'll ask him, but at the end, what I'd love to do together as a community is to pray, to commission him, just like we commission any missionary goes out into the mission field. Mark, can you just start by telling us a bit of your own vocational journey? Sure. Well, I... This is where it gets really difficult right from the start because if I say I'm an accountant, everybody goes, oh. (laughs) Um, And I think in some ways the articulation of our our occupation is um, like that. It conjures up an image. But I am an accountant by... um, Training. I've got an economics degree, an accounting degree. Um, one thing I never set out to do was be 
um, a business owner and own my own accounting practice. But that's what happened in 2005. Um, it was by virtue of, when I look back, some difficult but God-ordained circumstances that put me in a position where I was able to start my own little practice. And uh, 16 years on, um, I've got a business partner and, and seven staff. Um, and I love what you've said this morning, Josh, about uh, the garden and, and the chapters one and two of Genesis, because I think that's a lot about what I see in the marketplace. Most of my clients are small businesses um, and people running their own affairs and also um, some organisations. Um, some would say not-for-profit, I would say for-purpose organisations that I get to deal with. So that's basically what I do. Um, and that, that's uh, 16 years on now running that little business. Fantastic. Um, I guess one of the questions as we sort of were working out what we'd ask you in the week was how has your understanding of vocation changed over your occupational journey, over your journey of faith and, and all those things? Yeah, I, I loved your um, reflections on mentors over the years and mentors have been really important to me. And um, early on in my uh, MRL group days when I started the practice, we were also involved in a little church plant and um, I was thinking early on in that that I would give a day a fortnight to the church um, in terms of my time. And I was kind of puffing my chest a bit saying, you know, it sounds like a good idea. And I was talking to some people in our church community and they were really encouraging me in that in, and in that thinking. Um, but then I spoke to a, another mentor of mine who's actually Andrew McDonough, who the author of The Lost Sheep books, who we heard a little bit about that last week, and I kind of loved that last week. Um, Lost Sheep and MRL Group started about the same time, and neither of us really knew what we were doing, but we sort of evolved together, and Lost Sheep has been a client of mine the whole time. Um, but when I spoke to Andrew about this idea of tithing my time, he said, Mark, I think you're an idiot. Um, he said, I, I love your thinking about giving a day a fortnight to God's work. But what does that say about the other nine days? And um, that was a real life changer for me in terms of the way I thought um, because perhaps for me I was brought up in a way that maybe it's all about Genesis 3 and the best thing I can do is provide resources to those who are doing the real ministry in the church of trying to mop up the mess of the fall. And, and rather than just thinking about the fact that um, the creativity and the way we live out and, and the way we do the garden and the way we um, uh, take care of the custodians of, of the earth, that actually God is redemptive in that. Um, and it was really important for me to, to change my thinking and it really has changed my thinking. I really love that story. I've heard Mark share it a few times he wasn't here today, I was probably going to pinch it for my, for my sermon, because I think it illustrates that integration of work, vocation, ministry so well. And um, finally, what does a normal week look like for you, Mark, as, as an accountant, as a husband, as a father, as in the many spheres you inhabit, what does work, vocation and ministry look like on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, it is a... Um combination of things that are ordered and a combination of things that are 
chaotic, I guess. And I, I like the image of um, bringing order to chaos in the early chapters of uh, of Genesis. And I think that's a big part of what happens in in uh, the marketplace. Um, but part of vocation is who we are and who we're called to be. And I love, again, your reflections on starting with who we are and, and who I am fundamentally as a, as a husband and a dad and a Jesus follower and how that transforms my week. Um, and so for me, it's not just the firm and separating that from other things. Renee and I are partners in um, the way we bring up our children. So these days, my week start, my day starts by dropping Lockie and Abby to school. Um, and I really enjoy the fact that I get that few minutes in the car with them. Um, it grounds me. Yes, it gets me to work a bit later than I used to, but it's such a good thing to be able to do that. And the flexibility, um, I think one of the advantages of COVID is it's loosened me up around, you know, that not having to be the first one in the office. Um, and I think um, that rhythm of spending time with the family each morning is really crucial. Um, the week from there, Mondays um, is a little bit like rest at work. I, I try and keep Mondays free of clients um, in, in terms of uh, setting up appointments. I try and be in the firm. I try and have a sandwich with my business partner. We, we try and keep everybody um, connected and review how we're going and set some good plans and, and rhythms for the week. And then from there, most of my role is general management and, and helping the team service clients. So I, I really love hearing people's stories um, because people are thinking in spa spaces that we aren't. I don't spend all that much time thinking in the accounting space. Um, I remember, it was probably going back to last year when we had a sermon on money and Mark shared a reflection and one of the things he's learned as an accountant is to think of money as investing rather than as spending. And that's an insight that stuck with me but I would never have thought of it if I didn't spend my, my time in that area. So let's... Um, Let's pray for Mark, because I really love hearing about his ministry. I love hearing about his work. Um, so if you're able, I'd love for you to stand together, um, and we'll pray together for Mark, and then we'll sing a song to wrap up. King Jesus, we thank you that you're a God that gives us work. We thank you that you were the first worker. Lord, we thank you that you give us opportunities and callings and that you reorient our life. Lord, I thank you this morning for Mark and all the calling that you've placed on his life in his many spheres. Lord, I thank you for how you've captured him. Lord, I thank you for the Lacorny family. I thank you for Renee, Lockie, Abby, Immy and how they serve you. Lord, I pray as they serve you in all their spheres. They interact with business owners, they interact with friends, they interact with this community, Lord, that they will be a light, Lord, that they will be doing good work. Lord, I pray as Mark goes into his workplace this week, that he'll be building good tables. He will see the fruit of those good tables. Bless him and bless those that he encounters this week. Amen.